1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got three guys from Wyoming. Now, we're going to hear all about their backgrounds and stuff, but Chase, Tanner, and Colton are on to talk about all of their hobbies in the outdoors. I mean, they chase after anything and everything, it seems like. And together, they've created Brothers in the Wild. Now, it's more than just the three of them, but Brothers in the Wild is all about connecting with other people. And really, it's their core friend group. that loves to go out and experience new things in the mountains of the West. And I'm just pumped to talk to them, to pick their brain. Hopefully we can dive deep into some of the tactics they use, some of the gear, all sorts of good stuff. Let's jump in. I'm pumped. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there, We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. i harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I
0: don't know what to expect.
2: If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today. I've got three hunters. They are from the West. They've hunted a little bit of everything. And, um, yeah, it's just cool when I can talk to people who absolutely love the outdoors and love chasing after anything that there's a legal tag for. So joining me on the show today, I've got brothers in the wild. They are chase Tanner and Colton guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks
2: for having us. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Um, why don't you guys start out by sharing maybe a little bit about um, about your social media pages, kind of how this whole uh, brothers deal got started.
2: Okay. Um, so it actually really started with me and my family. We were on a vacation in Yellowstone. Um, actually, I almost got charged by a moose, and that's <laughs> kind of how the whole thing really got started. Um, but it kind of started with me and my younger brother. We are both really into fishing and hunting. And... Uh, I was really interested in the filming aspect of stuff um, and didn't really do a whole lot with it throughout high school. Uh, Filmed a little bit of stuff here and there. Um, When I went to college, um, it really picked up. We started filming a lot more. My sophomore year, we did uh, like a day-by-day type series. Um, And then that spring semester, I met Tanner. And, uh, you know, we immediately we we got paired for a project in class and uh immediately we just kind of became really close because of our love of hunting and being outdoors and uh when we came uh here started writing some blogs and stuff for our website and uh filming a little bit more not a whole lot of pretty hard with school and then not really having somebody who could run the camera um efficiently i guess i I should say (laughs) um and then this last summer we met colton and he's saw some of his tiktoks and i was like this guy uh, can run a camera and he wants to hunt and he's a really good fisherman so we all kind of became friends and he just started coming along with us mm-hmm. but brothers in the wild really isn't like none of us are related know, huh? uh but you know we're all just super close friends and that's kind of why we kept the name though as it is
1: Man, that's awesome. I I think it would have been funny if you guys had all been brothers and I was like, tell me how that got started. And you're like, see when a man and a woman love each other. (laughs) Um, But no, it's I, I feel the same way. Like when you find people that have common interests, especially in the outdoors, I feel like it just brings you so close together. I've got a dozen guys here that I could call and be like, hey, I'm going turkey hunting or I'm going deer hunting. Last year it was elk hunting. We got a big group of guys together, went out west a lot of them for the first time, and it's just so cool uh, to experience new things like that and then also just to have traditions that you follow each year, whether it's opening day of dove season or frog gigging, whatever it is. Um, so you guys are in Wyoming, right? Yes. Nice. That place I feel like has every outdoor opportunity imaginable. Uh, did yeah. you guys all grow up there, or did you did you move there for school?
2: Um, so, me and – me and tanner grew up what 15 mm. minutes apart
0: yeah and barely met in college <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean we
2: probably golfed against each yeah. other played football against each other and never even talked to one another until mm-hmm. college
0: and that's colton
3: i i on the other hand so uh i moved around a lot as a kid and my da, my dad's job uh, allowed us to move around so i was originally born in texas and ended up growing up the majority of my life on a little tiny island called guam out in the middle of the pacific and uh always wanted to hunt and fish and do all sorts of stuff. And out there pretty much all you can do is scuba dive and surf and whatnot. And, uh, when it t- came time to, uh, figure out where I wanted to go to college, I was like, well, Wyoming, uh, I love anything outdoors. And, um, so I came out here and luckily I met these guys and
1: it's been a blast. Man, that's so cool. What, what was the first hunt that you guys all did together?
2: <laughs> that one's a good story, actually.
0: But me and what was our first hunt?
2: Um our first hunt was a duck hunt. It was a duck, no, no, it was an elk. elk hunt
0: 2019?
2: Yeah, our, our, me and Tanner's first hunt was an archery elk hunt.
0: And then all three of us was an archery elk hunt that was a
1: pretty good story that ended did
2: <laughs> not great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> those are the best. I love hearing those stories. Colton you wanna. Yeah, so uh
3: chase and uh chasing Tanner. Uh, we're up on the mountain already and, uh, I had work and so I met him up on the mountain after I got off work and next morning, you know, I wasn't feeling too great. I was just like, you know, I feel kind of sick and I got, I don't know. And, uh, they're like, all right, well, we're gonna, we're gonna go out and like, right, I can push through it. So the entire day I'm sitting there, don't know what sickness I had, but I was like, I'm out hunting. It's fine. I can push through it. And, uh, throughout the day they kept on being like, yo, you're right. Like, you don't look great. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Let's, let's keep going. And, uh, uh, well we got back to camp later that evening. And I was like, I feel like I'm dying. Like guys, I'm going home. I need to like take a hot shower. I need to do something driving home. I ended up passing out and, uh, I ended up wrecking my truck flying through a, a ditch and jumped at like 18 feet and ended up in the hospital for three days. And, one of our other buddies that we uh, we worked with uh, was up at camp with him and he passed my truck and thought he saw uh, a body underneath a white sheet in the back of an ambulance and he called them and I'm driving to the hospital where I have my roommate driving me to the hospital and I get a call from them be like, are you all right? And I was like, how did y'all know I got in a wreck? And uh, they're like, Oh my gosh. And so the next day, instead of hunting, uh, uh, these guys came and saw me in the hospital, which uh, goes to show how good of friends they are, so.
1: Jeez, holy cow, what what ended, I mean, obviously, you ended up getting in the car wreck, but what led to passing out, do you know? Um, Don't really
3: know, the The doctors say it was just a, a mix of uh, probably me being mild elevation sickness, and whatever sickness I had going on, I had a delayed reaction to it, um, it the only thing that we could really come up with, because did a lot of testing, so, don't know, uh, but we've determined if we ever go hunting and uh, I feel like I'm dying, uh, I'm not the one driving home. Yeah, yeah,
1: you don't get to you don't get to leave everybody yeah. behind. Someone's yeah. going to take you in. Jeez, that's so, crazy, man! But, what a, uh, it makes for a great story. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Um, so since that point, I mean, you guys have kind of hunted a little bit of everything. Why don't you? Why don't you share? I guess maybe some of the hunts that you've been on or a list of, a list of species that you've gone after out there.
0: So this year, my first successful hunt was, I was originally going to go duck hunting and I was like, I can't find this spot. So I'm going to go, I came back home, dropped off the shotgun, and the decoys, picked up my rifle and an orange hat. And I was like, I'm gonna go kill an antelope. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to find an antelope. I'm driving down the road. And like, there's two antelopes standing right there. I pull up my binos. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to shoot them. So I get out of the truck. I start walking. My buddy, Nick calls us or calls me. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm trying to kill an antelope. And he's like, okay, I'm on my way out. I'm like, all right, cool. And as soon as he comes around the corner, one of the bucks jump and come around then this other buck comes around like perfect. So I'm shooting on him on a run on a knee three times at like 350 yards. I'm like, all right, calm down. So I took my butt, my sticks down, laid down, and I shot and this antelope did a wheelie and fell over as soon as he rolled up to my truck.
1: Jeez. That's, that's crazy. That's the, that's one of the Western hunts that I haven't done yet um, is antelope and everyone talks about it. It initially, I didn't have a lot of interest because people were like, Oh, they don't taste good. They don't taste good. And now I've talked to other people and they're like, dude, it's some of my favorite meat out there. And so.
2: steaks I've ever made were antelope steaks off my buck this year.
1: See, and that's what, that's what intrigues me. And Wyoming. I mean, you guys probably won't like me sharing this, but like non-resident tags for for does are crazy cheap there. They're like 49 bucks or something like that to get a non-resident yeah. uh, doe tag. And so I've got friends who have done that hunt. I think they did it last year and the year before, but I need to come out there and experience some antelope hunting.
0: It's
2: fun. Yeah. It's a, around Laramie, it's very tough. Just the sheer amount of private and stuff like it's hard to find antelope mm-hmm. on the public.
0: But um, like where we're from, it's all open BLM and you can, you can drive down the road and there going to be a herd 50 feet off the road. You can get out to your safe shooting spot and shoot from off the road like that. And they won't care. Yeah, I mean,
2: look, it's completely different. Like on the East side of the state than the West side of the state. It's just weird for antelope anyways. Yeah.
1: yeah. We've, we've gone out there um, or I've gone through Wyoming a fair amount now. And sometimes when I head to elk camp, I have to go up and around because like the mountain passes might be closed or have bad weather. And so sometimes the easiest thing is to go way up and then drop way back down. um, Mm -hmm. once you get through the mountains and there've been so many times where I'm driving and I'm like, Oh, look at all those antelope. And then I see a truck, just like you're saying, pulled off and there's guys making a stock. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like right off the highway. There's like 50 antelope out there. They're just going to walk out, shoot one, drag it back to the truck and be done for the day. And here I am going in the back country for a week straight or nine days straight, trying to kill something. Um, what What's your guys' favorite thing to hunt out there? For me, it's definitely, I, I love hunting
0: elk. Mine's high country mule deer. And you can't take that out of me. As much as he says I've turned into an elk hunter, I'm still a high country mule deer guy.
3: Mine's anything as, as long as I get to be outside and, uh, I I'm, I'm happy to hunt whatever,
1: as long as you're feeling all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the West has so many cool opportunities in, um, looking at, looking at just the total array of animals that you can pursue out there. I mean, I never would have thought the Rocky Mountain Range would be a great duck hunting spot, but holy cow, the waterfowl is amazing out there. Then you have whitetail and mule deer and elk and antelope, and then, you you know, you have your specialty tags like bighorn, mountain goat, and moose, and it mm-hmm. just seems like every year you can fill – I mean – i wonder what the divorce rate is up there for hunters because of all the different opportunities to chase after game um two years ago we had six tags each yeah we had six tags each holy cow see that's that that would be amazing i mean i hunt a lot of species here but not nearly as many big game like deer are basically the big game animal here they've opened up bear hunting they've opened up elk hunting but it's very limited draws like uh, only I think the first year was only six for elk for the whole state. And, Mm -hmm. um, so the, as far as big game hunting goes, it's deer. I hunt 15 different types of small game, everything from frogs to rabbits and squirrels, coyotes, all that stuff. In fact, today, uh, Turkey season opened. And so before this, I went out Turkey hunting. It was a bust. I mean, I've never had such a bad opening morning for Turkey. Um, we had one in the tree, like right next to us. I mean, probably 60 yards. And he just started gobbling right before pitching down. And I'm like, dude, it's going to happen. We had a hen and a Jake out there and he pitched down and then we never heard or saw him again. And that was it. That was our whole experience today, which is crazy because normally turkey hunting here is pretty action packed the entire time. Do you guys, do you guys do a lot of bird hunting out there?
2: Mostly ducks and geese, nice. and a little bit of
0: pheasant here and there.
1: Yeah, you guys, you guys, even as far as birds go, I mean, there are a lot of different things. Like, you guys can grouse hunt out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, you know you
2: to grouse while we're elk hunting. Yeah,
0: our elk hunting. We'll have a little like little small game tip, one of our arrows. Yeah, see a grouse. We'll just stop the elk hunt and shoot a grouse.
1: They're so dumb. I, I would have never guessed like we've, we've seen them and I'm like, dude, is it legal to carry a BB gun while you're elk hunting? Because we could, we could eat really good every night. Right. I've,
2: I've killed a couple of grouse with rocks. Like when, was, <laughs> when I'm rifle elk hunting, I'll just be like, it'll be like five yards away. and I'll just throw a rock as hard as I can and, Every once in a while, I'll get lucky and hit it in the head.
1: <laughs> That's so awesome. I wonder the Wyoming fishing game probably has like a certain diameter criteria for the rocks that you can kill them with. Um,
2: probably do, I just don't know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, let's talk about gear for a minute. Between the three of you, have you guys have you guys all kind of adopted the same gear? Like, do you guys use the same type of boots and camo and stuff, or are you guys? Do you have like uh, your little rivalry rivalries between? Oh, I'm a Sika guy, and he's a Kuyu guy.
2: I wouldn't okay. even call myself a Kuyu guy. I call myself whatever I get my hands on.
0: <laughs> me and Chase both run the Bear Tooth Eighty Mystery Ranches. Nice. And then I'm running Crispy and Kenotrex, and you're running Zamberlin's. Colton? I, I'm, I'm kind of a hybrid
3: of uh, just whatever I can get my hands on. Uh, I've got a couple of things of Sitka. I really like the Sitka gear. Uh, it's good quality. Um, I also got a couple of uh, the Sportsman's brand Killick um, stuff as well. It's pretty comfortable. And I've got a I use 511 pants for hunting. I don't have any camo pants or anything like that, just solid green pants. And, uh, I wear Arcteryx boots. I've got to get some other boots (laughs) and, uh, uh, I don't even know what pack I use.
2: You got to never restart. Oh yes.
3: I I don't know what model is. (laughs) It's old. It's, uh, my dad used it, uh, when we lived up in Alaska for caribou hunting. So it's probably over 15, 16 years old, but, uh, it works. And, uh, until it doesn't work. I don't need a new one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I'm, I've been the same way. Like I've never been specific to one brand or another. It's like, Hey, whatever I have, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've had a couple first light pieces, a couple Sitka pieces I've had like old school Cabela's stuff. I'd wear the gosh, I don't even know what brand it is Arctic or polar or something like that bibs. Mm -hmm. And I was the guy out there who was always like shedding layers cause I had the biggest jacket ever and I was just sweating like crazy and then I'd have to put it back on. Um, and so it wasn't until recently that I actually got a first light setup, and mm-hmm. so far I've loved it. It's, it's great today. I sweated like crazy. It was really cold out, uh, this morning and then, um as my buddy was watching i may or may not have fallen asleep for a little bit and when i sleep i sweat like crazy and so then i had to shed a bunch of layers after that but um what uh can can you guys walk me through i mean with three guys when you go when you go out hunting are you guys typically all together or do you like kind of go to your different areas and and try to glass and scout and hunt so
2: i guess it kind of depends because we got Some of some of our some of the guys aren't here. They're working today. Um, We got Corey, Davis, Jackson, Jake. Mm -hmm. If all seven of us are together, we're split up. We're usually like we'll split up into two or three little groups, like two guys, three guys. Um, If it's us three, a lot of times we're just together. It just makes it a little bit easier to communicate, move around, and like elk hunting wise over here. There's really nowhere to glass.
0: Yeah. So this isn't like Western Wyoming, where you have the big open parks and ridges where you can glass for elk all day long. You're either in the elk or you're looking at them at a hill 300 yards away.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Like this mountain range over here is just so timbered that mm-hmm. it's easier just to kind of stay together and just kind of cover country country like that.
1: Do you guys, do you guys specifically archery hunt for elk or do you also go out during rifle season? We do
0: both. Yeah, both but pretty arch- hard. Yeah, but archery is probably our favorite bread and butter because we get we love to show off our calling skills,
2: even though they're not that great. Yeah. we like to think
0: we're good. We like to think we're good, but it just sounds it path.
1: sounds like three bulls that not are bugling nonstop, and the elk are like, "What the heck is going on over there?" Yeah. Where there's a
0: cow that keeps talking and like, "What the heck's going on?"
2: Yeah, we like to think we're good callers, but we're probably about average, if not a little below. <laughs> what
1: what? type of calling do you do do you do a lot of bugling or is it mostly cow calls
2: it kind of depends on the bull like if they're responding to cow calls we'll just kind of cow call and stick with that they're (coughs) working their way towards us um but if they're not really responding that well to the cow calls but they're responding to bugles really well we'll be pretty aggressive with those and try and get them pretty fired up to come in hopefully with a blind rage
0: and that's like that's like this year. I have a little story. I was, I was back in Western Wyoming. My dad just killed a deer the first year. He's killed in 15 years because he's very picky. And he killed it the day I leave, I should say. <laughs> I get to work and like he texts me, got myself a buck. And I'm like, what? And he sent me a picture and I ran a chase. I'm like, Chase, my dad killed a deer. Anyway, I go back that next weekend and he's like, let's go. Let's go archery hunting. I'm like, all right. So he's really never archery hunted up before. And so I'm calling and I'm calling. And then we just get four or five different bulls popping off. So we start straight going up the middle, we come across, and then we stop, I cow call, and there's a bull 50 yards above us. I'm like, my dad's looking at me, I'm like, just stay behind me. And this bull comes across and he shoots down, catches our wind and just keeps on going like nothing ever happened. Dang. And then later that evening we sat at a wallow and I started bugling and cow calling a little bit after I was quiet and just boom, 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 bull after bull, I was like, all right. And my dad's like, all right, I'm gonna go this way. We call it the square cut on this mountain we like to hunt. And so I go straight up the middle towards this bull. And as soon as he hears me like kind of like challenge him, he's gone with his cow. I'm like, all right, this one's a done deal. And then my dad texts me because we have service up there. My phone's at 2%. He's like, make your way towards me. I'm like, all right. And he's like, there's a bull he's looking for you. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I shoot straight across, I come to this bed where an elk's been laying all day. I grab it full cow urine I throw it all over me I'm like all right cool and I, I come to the square cut and I can't see my dad so I cow call and that bull's like 150 yards below me bugle I'm like okay so I come across and shoot and then my dad's like he's right there I'm like okay so I come around that bull's looking up at me like this I'm like all right <laughs> and so I take my pack off and everything and so I keep just cow calling him he keeps just moseying his way up And i've already pulled back because i'm like i only have like this little tree covering me and so like at this and i arranged it and i was like as soon as he hits there i'm gonna shoot and as soon as it gets there i pull i'm like all right and i release and that arrow barely goes right over his back i'm like
1: "Oh." oh no yeah dang that that seems like one of the coolest ways to hunt where you're you know you're locating him you're getting in closer you're convincing them that you're a you're a cow and then mm-hmm. they come in. I'm sure, like the adrenaline associated with that would just be a whole different level. I mm-hmm. I have yet to experience it. I've got to uh, elk hunt with my rifle and mule deer hunt with my rifle, but I have yet to get out with a bow and do any type of archery hunting in the West.
2: It's yeah. It's a at least for me, elk hunting is like I I guess I like to call it. We have like me and my dad call it like a toolbox. Um, like got all these like different tricks and stuff. But I mean, calling's at least the most fun. Mm-hmm. Cause that you're convincing them you're an elk. And um, however, sometimes it's you just gotta throw a curveball at them and just hopefully they're talking on their own. Me and Tanner a lot of times like to just Go sneak in. in there and not be make a noise. And but it's definitely not as fun as calling in a yeah. but
1: I've talked to, I've talked to a couple different people and you know, a lot of guys coming from the East, it seems like a really call happy where they'll just Mm -hmm. call and call and call. Um, And then I've talked to other guys that have been out there for a long time doing it. And they're like, dude, I just shut up. I get in there. I get in close. I try to get right on top of them before I Mm -hmm. do anything. And I'll just do cow calls. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But there was one guy I was talking to and he said, I don't remember how many total days. I think he said he was out there for 30 days and he was in elk 29 of the 30 days. Mm -hmm. And he's like, on the flip side, you see some guys that get out there and they just bugle and bugle. And the most effective thing they do is call in other elk hunters to their bugle. (laughs) We've done that.
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely like if the bulls aren't bugling on their own, there's a lot of times we're throwing out hundred bugles a day. Jeez, yeah. there's been a few times like we'll be bugling along this ridge we'll go 100 yards from where we bugled last bugle again and then there's a bull bugling the right bottom. there and you ju- we just kind of broke that barrier where he feels like he has to say something
0: and and it's really dependent on the pressure too because if they've been pressured they're going to shut up they don't want to talk unless they have to and that's like in Western Wyoming with how the grizzlies and wolves are coming. They only bugle at certain times because they don't want to be attracting all those predators towards them.
1: Oh yeah. That and, makes sense.
0: And that's like an eye opener coming over here. We don't really have to worry about the grizzlies over here, but now the wolves are starting to kind of come back. It's kind of like that aspect like, all right, cool.
1: Yeah. Are, are you guys hunting uh, open units or are you typically drawing uh, in order yeah. to hunt? So open units.
2: Yeah, most of the time just general over the counter. Um but this last year that bull right there um was the first limited limited-quoted elk tag I've ever had. And I think probably only the third one I'd ever put in for. And I mean it was a pretty not a great unit. <laughs> um it was I kind of figured it wasn't great when it had 87% draws for a resident. I was like, well, we're gonna put in for it and we'll <laughs> try and film as much as we can. Um well, I ended up only elk hunting for two and a half days. I bow hunted two days and then Shot that drove out on. It was I think it was October eighteenth. Me and uh, it was me? And, oh, me and our buddy Jake were out duck hunting that morning, and I had the day off. And I was like, you know, what, I'm, I'm going to go elk hunt tonight. I pull up to my pulled to the spot and walk 150 yards from my truck, and I'm like, there's two elk standing in that meadow right there. <laughs> pulled my binos. I was like, well, that one looks like a pretty I. Called him because when I first saw this bull, he was walking through some baby quakies and he looked way bigger than he was like way bigger. I was called him after he went in the timber. I was like, dude, I just saw a giant and I found him and his buddy bedded down and I was like, okay, well clearly not as big as I thought he was not even close Threw out a couple of cow calls. And he just walked out on the edge of the timber. And I was like big enough. I'm going to shoot him. Cause I was like, I don't know when I'll see another elk again Yeah, and 271 yards. And I was like, all right, yeah, only <laughs> I can, I'm 400 yards from my truck now. So uh, we're just going to shoot this bull. It'll be easy pack out. And it mm-hmm. still managed to be the hardest pack out for an elk I've ever had. When we were only 800 yards from my truck. Jeez. It,
0: it literally went like this, then like this.
1: <laughs> Do you, yeah, we, the, the terrain out there is one thing that I try to warn everybody about. Like, no matter how ready you think you are for it, the, like, the wilderness is so unforgiving. It it doesn't care about you, the gear that you have, the amount of weight you're carrying. Like, it'll just kick your butt if you're not ready for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always like that first elk hunt of the year. Like, you feel like you're in shape and stuff like that. Then you hike, you're like trying to keep up with a herd of elk and you're like, Okay, I'm nowhere close to where I think I need to be apparently or where I thought I was.
1: Yeah. Uh it doesn't
3: help when you're uh, when you're the cameraman and you are sitting there trying to get all the, the good uh footage and next thing you know, you put the camera down and they're a hundred yards away from you and you've got to run and they're just they're <laughs> constantly just walking and you're having to like sprint every like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah what... We kind of forgot about Colton a little bit. <laughs>
1: Colton, I'm sure that was that was a pretty big change. I mean, going from Guam to serious elevation, obviously it kicked your butt the one time. Um, oh, how yeah. has it been now that you've been up there for a while?
3: Um, for the most part, I mean it's it's been okay. Uh, haven't really done anything too extraneous in the mountains <laughs> since uh, that incident. <laughs> Um, Doctor
2: wouldn't let him. <laughs> yeah, so
3: uh it, it kind of stunk because when he got his elk uh I was still having tests ran and stuff, and uh for a month I had to wear a, a heart rate monitor and I couldn't do extraneous activities or go hunting. They said no to that. They said no to uh like mountainous hunting, and um so he's calling everybody else, and I'm like, Well, I would love to come and help you pack it out, but uh the doctor would kill me if uh, i'm like oh yeah i went and packed down an elk uh, i did go duck hunting and the doctor was a little concerned when they looked at the results and my heart rate spiked uh one certain morning and i was looking at the results and i talked to chase and i was like hey what day did we go duck hunting and i shot the duck and he's like oh this day and i'm like oh look, my heart rate spiked to like 182 or something. It was something ridiculously (laughs) high. And the doctor was concerned. It's like, what were you doing then? I was like, oh, I was duck hunting with my buddies. (laughs) I was like, that's when I shot my duck.
1: Yeah. That's awesome that you can look back and tell the exact time you shot your duck based on the heart rate monitor.
2: Yeah. That's one of our problems. Colton's given us some of the best stories. (laughs) It just is last year that I'm like, I'm telling everybody about (laughs) that.
1: That's awesome. What, what do you guys have planned for this year? Have you, have you been getting draw results yet or are those yet to come out? So
2: we don't get our draw. Well, moose draw results are coming out here in a couple weeks and I have a chance for a moose tag, like a decent one. So that's going to dictate, like if I do draw that moose tag, that's going to dictate most of my hunting season, mm-hmm. but uh, deer and elk and antelope, they don't come out till June. So we're all just kind of waiting for that. There's a couple commissioner meetings on some tag changes here and uh, they're looking at adding some different seasons and some different limited quota tags that right now we're still waiting to figure out if we're going to put in for certain deer tags or not.
1: Nice. So, um, Tanner, you mentioned like high country mule deer is your, mm-hmm. your go-to what, what do you love so much about that?
0: So ever since I was a kid, I was a like,
1: my dad's always been that deer hunter
0: and he's never been the guy. I'm going to go to the easy place. I'm going to take you to the place where you're going to, you know, where they're going to find them and they're going to be gone. Yeah. And so my favorite thing is, is being right where they're at. Cause everybody's like, oh, the elk are always at the top of the mountain. But I'm like, no, that big buck is always at the top of the mountain, watching you making your way up there. And I still remember the story. Me and my dad were hiking down there was a snowstorm in like 2015. And I look up right where we were at and there was two bucks, probably over 200 inches standing in the when I shoot. I'm like, all right. And I can still remember this, like their heads going like this and just looking and just being in the home of the great ghosts is what I call them, especially hunting the Wyoming range and one of the regions that East Finns is talking about and all that, it's just, it's amazing. There's been, my dad, he missed a buck two years ago that we watched all summer that we guessed was probably 220. Jeez. And I shot a deer out of there that was 190 inches that I never found. I've shot two deer out of there that I thought they were good shots, but they're a little back in the liver. And I tracked them for the three days straight through snowstorms and everything.
1: That's crazy. I Her I mean, I could gift. see how it would be addicting being up that high, being in the that tough country. Like the harder the country, the more beautiful it is a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And getting back far enough to where you're away from civilization where like you said you're right in their bedroom i mean Mm. i i got to do a couple hunts like that i did i went on a moose hunt and a mountain goat hunt both with my buddy he drew he drew both those tags with a year of just general tags in between but Mm. man it was some of the hardest hunting i've ever done for sure especially the mountain goat um i've got i've got videos of these mountain goats like at a mile to a mile and a half away and mm-hmm. the terrain that they're in. I'm like, you you couldn't get there. Even if you had a helicopter that dropped <laughs> you off, it would have to drop you off in like one five square foot area and you wouldn't be able to move because it's just so unforgiving.
2: Yeah, I was gonna ask you, how's the like when you do kill Mountain Girl, how'd the retrieval process go? Like,
1: yeah, we can we can definitely go into mountain? that. That was we so we hiked up to um 10,000 well 11,000 feet roughly and from there we climbed to between 12 and 13,000 uh every day uh we got up there before season so we could go out and scout a bunch and we saw a ton of mountain goats i mean dozens and dozens of them but they were all across the valley and we're talking a couple mile trip to get over there. And so, um, we, I want to say, you know what? He didn't even hunt that first area that we were in. We, we moved and basically the whole first actual day of the hunt, we were going to a new spot. One of the guys didn't come with us. He just, he was struggling up there. I mean, at one point he peed in a Gatorade bottle at night, like from his tent and he woke up and it looked like cloudy orange Gatorade. Like it was that, he was that dehydrated. So he stayed back at camp. So we dropped back down to 10,000. He set up um, a base camp and hang out there and trout fished and just enjoyed being out there. And he had a bear tag as well. But Sean and I, we crossed the valley, hiked up and holy cow, man. I, at one point I was wondering what we were doing out there. It was such a tough climb Like on a, on a hillside, not not a hillside, a mountainside, and there's deadfall everywhere, but you're still having to go straight up. And so now we're, you know, having to climb over trees that are at our neck level, climbing over one, walking three feet, climbing over another as we're going straight up this mountain. And, uh, we get up there, we saw a nanny and a kid, um, on the way up, saw a bunch more once we finally set up camp. And that was basically all of day one. Well, we we saw one from a long ways off that we thought was a good billy. Um, and so we're like, hey, in the morning we're going to go over there. So we did. We got over, and there was uh, probably a year and a half old. Um, no, maybe not even that old. It, it could have been just a kid. We saw it from a long ways off, so we didn't get a good look. Um, anyways, we get over, and we see this goat. And it just kind of showed up. I think it was tucked back on a ledge way above us. And so we couldn't see it. And so we kept hiking. And then all of a sudden we looked up and it was there like on this exposed cliffside. side. And he, he ended up shooting at, I don't know, 350-ish yards. I don't remember exactly. And that was the toughest animal I've ever seen. The amount of shots he had to put into it. I mean, like good shots too, looking back at the footage, looking at, looking at the um, carcass of it after we got up to it, it was insane. And I think he probably total shot six or seven times at this thing. And he, it's not like he blew out the spine or the shoulders or the, or the legs or anything. I mean, they were all in the chest cavity and it still ended up on the final shot. It made it to about three feet away from a hundred foot cliff before it would have dropped off. And we're just sitting there like, hoping and praying. We're like, don't go, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Just stay put, stay put, stay put. And it got to the point where, so this cliff kind of tapered out way back in this bowl. And so we had to walk up and around it instead of climbing straight up. I mean, I'm talking straight up. So we went way up in the bowl and came around and we got eyes on it. He put a follow-up shot in it. And that's when it went down to almost falling off the cliff And so I'm starting to get rope out of my bag because I'm thinking I'm going to have to get over there, like lasso this thing and drag it up the mountain. And he's like, we don't have time. And he just sprinted over there, grabbed it by the horn, horns, and just pulled it up to a safe distance to where he knew it wasn't going to fall off. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was just to get to it. Then we end up, you know, uh, taking care of it, getting the fur off, getting the guts out, quartering it and boning it in got everything loaded up in packs and then the hike down to get back down was brutal, um, mm-hmm. to say the least. It was on knees. Oh, it was so bad. And my knees aren't good to start with. And we had already dropped down well over a thousand feet the day before, because we had to come down from our initial base camp and then go right back up the other side of the Valley. Mm-hmm. And so at one point, um, Okay. So actually a little backstory. Sean was talking to his taxidermist, told him that he had drawn a a mountain goat tag and his taxidermist said, I've been on three mountain goat hunts, almost died on two of them. And so already we're like, Oh, okay. Good to know. And sure enough. I mean, once we got out there, we were crossing scree fields that were a mile and a half long, um, just up and over boulders the whole way. We'd hear rock slides on the other side of the Valley and, Anyways, on the way back down to Josh, the guy who was at base camp, um, at one point we thought we were getting cliffed out. And we're like, crap, this sucks. And we see this tiny little path. And we're like, dude, we could probably make it down to that path. So we did. And then to look at what we had to drop down after that was insane. I mean, it was, it was all like mossy and muddy and just um, not a straight drop, but like a, a skiing hill. Right, hmm. like, uh, I was on my butt, Sean had already made it down to a safe point. I was on my butt with my trekking poles and my heels and my pack all like digging into the ground, and I was sliding uncontrollably like I couldn't stop, and I was heading for this cliff, and luckily, he had a hold of a tree reached out. I got a hold of his arm, and he pulled me over. And yeah, it was, it was nuts. I told him, I said, I'll never do that again unless I have like proper climbing equipment, harness, like tie off to stuff because it was that, that sketchy. So that was definitely the craziest terrain I've ever been in on a hunt.
2: I've been in one of those situations and me and my dad, we were hiking out of a spot elk hunting and it's, it's bighorn sheep country. Like we, we jump sheep all the time. And, uh, we got clipped out, but there was a little path going down this chute that we could slide down. Well, my trekking pole got caught and I was trying to just pull it back towards me. We tried to lift it up and I flipped it off the cliff and I about went over.
1: Oh and, my gosh. Uh,
2: my dad freaked out a little bit. He started yelling at me. He was like, this is not the time to get pressure. I was like, I'm, I'm not. I was like, I'm just trying to get my trekking pole. <laughs> but it fell, it rolled all the way to the bottom and like it was all bent up and luckily still worked, but that, that I was told my dad, I was like, we're never coming off that face ever no. again.
1: Oh yeah. The, we've been in so many situations like that where we're packing out meat and it's just, uh, a mountainside with loose rock everywhere. And you're every step you take up, you're sliding a half a step back and yeah you just do that all the way up the mountain expending so much energy, but it all like in the moment it's you're suffering. I mean, it's just like grueling. Everything hurts. You don't think it's ever going to end. And then when you get up there or like a month later, when you're not at elk camp anymore and you're looking back, you're like, Oh, I miss it. I miss it. So <laughs> yeah. Much.
2: Yeah. If I had to, I'd go down that pace again. I just hope I don't have to.
1: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. The um, yeah, the terrain out there, like I said, it's unforgiving. It doesn't, it does not respect you at all. And that's one thing I had to learn the hard way a couple of times. Um, so you guys do a lot of elk hunting antelope deer. You guys also have whitetail there. Mm -hmm. What, what is that like? Because I feel like everybody who goes out West goes out there for the big, like mule deer and elk things that they don't have back in the Midwest or in the East. Um, Is whitetail kind of overlooked or is it becoming more popular now?
2: I I think certain areas it's overlooked. Like we, we had additional whitetail tags around like Laramie here, which after this year we were like not putting in for those again. (laughs) Cause uh, outside of our tree season, we saw one buck and one doe and I'm going to out, out our game and fish department a bit here because um, I outed them in their office and they they weren't too happy with me. Um so we we have a bunch of HMAs around here and stuff like that. One of them you have to draw and uh that I drew that 2 years ago when when I shot my whitetail. Um that's a story. Well, this year I we we had five four tags mm-hmm. and we didn't draw that HMA, but there's another one that's like 14,000 acres that last way. year you could whitetail hunt And it's almost all, I think 95% of it's probably state.
0: And they just use it for grazing.
2: Yep. And they shut it off completely to whitetail hunting.
1: Dang. So
2: they took a bunch, they took like probably 12, 10,000 acres of public land. And we're like, nope, you can't whitetail hunt. it. So that ended up with me and Tanner and our other buddies who had whitetail tags. Having two state sections two like just one section state sections to hunt and
0: out of all of us I'm on the one that shot a white tail on that river bottom out of pure luck too like it couldn't I don't know how I did it, but I did it yeah and,
2: but you go up to like the northeast corner of the state, the black hills, there's a lot of white tails up there uh, I had a chance to shoot in November uh I had a chance to shoot a pretty good eight point. When me and my our other buddy Austin went up there for I think four days. And he actually shot this that mule deer right there on that trip. And last day, had a chance to shoot a pretty good whitetail, but just didn't work out. But up there, I mean, whitetail hunting's pretty popular, I'd say it's not That's so 13. much overlooked. But like certain other places, like I'd say if you have that right access down here, it's an overlooked thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I've, I've watched some, I mean, I feel like some of the Wyoming and Montana whitetail hunts are becoming a little bit more popular. And so you're seeing more videos pop up about them. Um, one thing that's interesting though, is you just called it an eight point. Most Western hunters call it like a four by four. Uh,
0: see, we, we adapted to it when we were hunting whitetails, we're going to call them 8.6 points. But if I see a four point deer on the side of the side of the road, I'm saying there's a four point right there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like when we're, when we're talking whitetails, we're we always kind of go, like basically how everybody else kind of calls them. Uh, like I have we have a bunch of family that hunts whitetails in, in the Midwest and back east, so we just kind of adopt their lingo. But then when we're talking mule deer and elk, we're like, oh that five by six or that four by four. they you know, we just call them basically like what how many points they mm-hmm. have on one side.
0: We're like, oh that's a four point. Or that's a six-point bowl or something. Or that's a four-point buck with a drop, drop tine on it.
3: That, that That's one thing I've had to get used to. Uh, so my family, we have a ranch down in Texas, and we've got a bunch of white tail. And uh, I'll be like, oh, a 10 point. And then they'll say something else. And I'm like, it, it took me so long to uh, to get used to. Uh, I didn't realize not everyone says, uh, oh, it's a 10-point or it's a 12-point. I'm, like, I'm like, that doesn't sound very big. Just five, what? Yeah, yeah. We so. check
2: we checked trail cameras and we had a we had a big bowl on one of our cameras and I was like we were looking at it. I was like dude that's a big six point and Colton's was like it's 12, 12 foot and he's like what and I'm like he's like that doesn't sound very big and I'm like I'm like look at he's like dude that thing he's like that's got more he's like it's got six points on one side and I'm like that's what we call <laughs> it is like the six point bull. like he's got six on each side
1: That's so funny that, I mean, that was the same for me growing up in Wisconsin and then going out West, I had almost no exposure to Western hunting at all. And so even like the lingo I didn't realize was different until I got out there and they're like, Oh yeah, man, I shot an awesome four point last year. Like he was big, he was heavy. And I'm like, really? Like (laughs) like a big, heavy four point. That's crazy. Or they'd Mm -hmm. be like, you know, as long as it's as long as it's a three point, And I was like, Oh, okay. So you can shoot just about anything out here. And they're like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> no. it's got to have three on one side. And I'm like, well, no, that's okay. So <laughs> tell me about this. And I, I figured out pretty quick that I couldn't call things eight and 10 points because I'm like, man, I would love, I think that's what I said at first. I was like, dude, I would love to shoot a 10 point. And I was elk hunting and they're like, yeah, we all would. And I'm like, I'm like, I mean, it's not that big. And they're like, no, I mean, a 10 point is like a five or, uh, they're like a 10 point means 10 points on one side. They're like, you'll never find one of those as much as you want to, you're never going to shoot one. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean like five on each side. Oh, those are all over out here. I'm like, Oh, okay, good to know. What, uh, what advice would you guys give to somebody that is coming out there to hunt like Wyoming? For the first time is there is there something that they can be doing from the east or from the midwest in order to prepare for it whether that's e-scouting watching videos checking out different gear than they may be used to
0: so my cousin from west virginia he's actually put in for region g and h tag to come out here and he's like what do you recommend i'm like no offense you're not walking to your tree stand you're not gonna walk to that pivot i said be ready to walk walk and walk I said throw some weight in that backpack and just go for a walk get on the treadmill or whatever and uh just to get in shape like get that feeling of like this is never going to end why are we going up this hill kind of thing <laughs> and like why are we walking over this ledge i'm like well if you want to go where the deer at you got to go where the deer at and he's just so excited about it he's like i'm so excited to at least just come out and hunt with you and experience the high country of wyoming and all that stuff so just I always just said, just to think about it as a adventure. Yeah, It's not gonna be a basic cunt that you know of. It's a, like, for me, if I was to go back there, would be like, where's my mountain to climb? Where's this? Where's that? Like, it's like a whole culture shock in my eyes. So
1: yeah, you've got to get in the mindset of like just going and like not having quit in you. And that's what I tell people too. Like you can't have quit out there. If you have any like thing in the back of your mind that just says, Hey, just stop, just go back just take the day off, like Western hunting probably isn't for you. Now, Chase, I mean, you just walk out there and shoot, shoot one after work one day or on your day off. So it's a little bit different for you.
2: That was the luckiest, (laughs) like every other bull I've killed it. Like my first bull, it took me five years to kill an elk. And then after that, like I would say if you're coming out to Wyoming and especially hunting a new species, I'd say, just research the habitat like what mm-hmm. like if you're hunting elk or d- even the mule deer figure out what they're what they need to survive and get on maps i mean i spend hours still like on maps like finding new spots like
3: everyone at work teases him because uh our our manager uh she's like if he's not working he's eating sleeping living hunting I, i'll be like oh what are you doing he's like Oh, I'm, uh, I'm going through maps right now. Uh, just marking new spots. I want to check out. And I'm like, do you ever do anything but that? And he's like, no, if I'm not working, I'm doing something
0: that's related to hunting.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm that's like, awesome.
0: I'll be in class and like, I'll get a text message. Check out this waypoint on Onyx and there'll be like three <laughs> in the class. and like, do you ever do anything work? You're like, no. I'm like, I can tell.
2: <laughs> that's like if, I'm stand- like if I'm standing at the gun counter and there's no customers in the store, I'm on, I use go hunt maps for, all my big game stuff and on X for all my waterfowl now. Um, and that he'll walk back behind the gun counter and be like, you're still on maps. And I'm like, yeah, like, I was like, I want to be able to be an elk every single day. And I would just tell guys get on maps and just, if you're only out here for a week, find, get seven spots. And if you have to like, me and Tanner, we don't spend a lot of time in one spot. Like, if we go in the spot elk hunting and the bulls aren't bugling there.
0: We get out and go.
2: Like, when Colton was with us this year, we went to one spot. We were there for an hour and didn't hear bugle. And because we kind of knew where the elk would be. And then we just were like, all right, well, we're going to go check out this spot. And, I mean, it worked out. We got on four or five bulls. But, and, I mean, not didn't work out great for Colton at the end. Um <laughs> But I would just say, spend time on maps and learn the country that you're gonna be in. So when you get there, it's not like uh, where like where am I? Yeah. Type yeah. of thing. Like, And it's a little bit easier to not get turned around, lost also, but you just feel more comfortable where you're at.
0: And that, and this is a different part of the thing. Like I had a buddy, I used, for the fire department I work, I used to work for back home before they shut it down. Um, he was from Michigan. And he drew a region J tag. So, like, a lot like Southwest Wyoming, the general units. And he's like, What caliber gun should I bring? And he's like, Oh, I could buy this. I don't remember what it was. I'm like, No, he, I was like, either go with a, like a 243 or a 6.5 Creedmoor. Like, personally, I shoot a 6.5 by 284. It's like kind of a wildcat round. Chase just got a 6.8 Western and Colton shoots a 308. And he's like, Why do you prefer? I'm like, You need something that still has that power to kill something, but it still has that, that flat shooting aspect of it. Yeah. Like, All right. So he, said, he ended up buying like a, he bought a six five. I'm a huge
2: fan of the twenty five out six for deer.
0: Yeah. And so he, because he worked at a bow shop back back home in Michigan, he's like, oh, I bought this. I don't remember. I think maybe a Howell 1500 six five. Said perfect. And so like that made his experience a lot better because he had that gun that could still reach out there a good distance, but not that far distance like maybe my gun or Chase's gun or even Colton's gun could do. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I've noticed with like. Family coming
2: out to deer hunt or even elk hunt. Um, you know, we've had, we have some friends from Oklahoma that would come out every year to hunt elk. They'd get uh, just leftover cow tags. And, you know, the first year they were out there, they asked my dad, like, oh, like, how far should we expect to shoot? My dad's like, you need to probably be ready to shoot anywhere from 300 to 400 yards. Like, it's like they're, and they're like, man, we've never, <laughs> <laughs> past yeah, and my dad's like, "Well, I mean, you you can get shots a hundred and under if you're still hunting in the timber, but it's way harder to get a shot at an elk when you're walking through the timber and they jump up in front of you because you got to be quick."
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, sighting in guns before deer season every year, like we would go out a couple days before deer season, make sure everything was sighted in, and we would. Put a cardboard box at 50 yards, and that's what we would sight in for. Um, once I came out or came down to Missouri, I had some friends who just enjoyed shooting long range, and so I got into it and absolutely loved it. But that's that's probably one of the biggest things that people need to get used to. Um, you know, that it might be cool to see people shooting at a thousand yards online, seeing different, um, you know, different super long range shots, but in all reality, it seems like the majority of opportunities you have are somewhere around that 400 yard range. Um, at least from what I've experienced out there, what, what would you guys tell people as far as, um, optics go, whether it's binos, spotting scopes, rifle scopes. Uh, again, I feel like people like, Oh man, I want the 80 power spotting scope. I want the um, you know, up to twenty five power rifle scope. What do you guys recommend for that stuff?
0: Oh, well, in my opinion, it depends. Like on my gun, I'm shooting a six to twenty by fifty Viper, Vortex Viper on it, and so like that's perfect for what I do. Like I like to, I like during the summer, I'm always shooting long range. Like I know that gun well enough. If I have to put it on an animal at six hundred yards, I know exactly where that gun's going to hit. And like for binos, I for through sports, they get this whole spiff, and I got to great set of razor 10 by 42s and it's always behind the glass and everybody went i want 12 by 50s i want this but like i carry 12 by 50s for a long time but all i felt was that weight mm-hmm. that's the one thing we all
2: kind of agree on we all run this almost the same optics and i'd say at least me and tanner for sure like optics are the key to like especially deer hunting out here when you're mule deer hunting that's the key to finding a buck is glassing
0: and like he'll be behind the vinyl or like my dad will be behind the binols, while i'm in the spot and scope just tearing apart patches of trees and stuff like that because with those mule deer you can if, once you see that the first thing i always find when they're sitting in the trees their gray face that white face i'm like oh there's a deer and so i watch it and i wait till their head moves because i'm like i'm not sure that's number one thing i always find is that gray face sitting because i like to sit and watch down is what I've noticed. I, I I also agree with these guys. Uh, I think it also depends
3: kind of where you're hunting, what you're hunting. Because if you're in the timber, you know a lot of guys who are out uh, in the open hunting elk, they're got massive scopes, six and a half to twenty-two or whatever. Well, if you're in the timber, having a scope like that isn't going to do you much good. So oftentimes, even in the timber, something smaller, a three to nine. Uh, works great uh, personally on my 308 just because I wanted a all around gun I've got a four to 12 on mine
2: and um, I got a four to 16 on my my new 6.8 and a four to 12 on my t70
0: and that's like my dad he just built the 65 prc and he threw an arkin sculpt six like a big he likes those bigger sculpts because he he likes to say because he can look at them better, I guess. Like this last year when he shot his deer, he's like, my scope's a lot better than my binos. And he has a pair of 15 by 56 vultures from Vortex. Dang. Like, I didn't need binos. My and like he'll carry his 80, his brand new razor spot scope and all this stuff. And I'm like, how do you do it? My dad's a big dude. And like, it doesn't phase him. Like, he will kick my butt going up this mountain, like it's straight up. I'm like, I'm over here huffing <laughs> and puffing. Well, my dad, it's just amazing. Like,
1: yeah, it's a mindset. I mean, I've, I've seen guys that, like, for me, I've always been pretty athletic. I love to play sports, um, love to get out and hike and canoe and rock climb and all this different stuff. Well, I my first ever elk that I shot, I was packing it out. Well, we were quartering it up, and we were far enough back that we were like, hey, we're going to bone the meat out. And uh, my buddy Sean's brother Shane and another guy from Camp Dan They came out to help pack it out. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. We're a couple miles in. I really appreciate it. You know, I've got the head and all the meat that's all got to go out. Well, Dan, the one guy that came out to help, he didn't bring a pack. And I was like, oh, he's not going to be helping us pack out. No, what he did, he took two game bags, threw them over his shoulders, and beat us all back to the side-by-side. Wow. And I'm like, dude, you're twice my age not nearly in the shape that i am and i've got a pack that is literally made to do this and you just <laughs> threw them over your shoulders like potato sacks and he did he beat us all up the mountain it was unreal i i can't imagine like my arms wouldn't work for weeks if i tried to do that
2: yeah i know quite a few guys that they'll just quarter and they will can throw the quarter over their shoulder and just hike it out like that and i'm like
0: well that was like my first bull First ever elk ever shot was a bow, I was with the bow. I shot a little raghorn four, and uh, Chase couldn't come help me. And I shot him like three hundred yards off the road because I was like, oh, I'm gonna park here. And I went bugle and bugled him, like, okay. And so I called him in, and shot him. So like, sorry, I'm like, can't make him. Like, all right. So I threw two quarters over my shoulders like this, walked out three hundred, set him on like set him on this little tarp pad in my back of my truck. And I just kept doing that and like, I have this backpack that I just bought, to pack out meat. And why am I not using it? Yeah. So.
1: Dang. Um back uh back to optics i i'm 100% on board with you guys i love vortex stuff it is it's unbelievable in my opinion like you can't find a better quality for the money at all and yeah. i've i've been running all vortex stuff for gosh probably 6 plus years now you know i had like a burris scope on one of my early rifles and then i switched over to the viper pst2 um yep. absolutely love it just got another scope in that I'm hoping I found out my son here in here in Missouri kids can hunt at 6 wow. and my son's 5 and I'm thinking like dude we're years away from him being able to hunt and I was talking to another guy and he's like yeah my my son's 7 he's got two turkeys so far and I'm like wait what and he goes <laughs> yeah they can hunt at 6 and so I'm going to put that new scope. It's the four to 16 HSLR. I think it is. Um, I'm going to put Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get like a youth rifle for my son. I've got the bog tripod. And so like for out here, I wouldn't, I I bring the bog with me when I'm out in Colorado, just in case like if we're on a two track going back to a spot on the four wheeler or something, and we end up having an opportunity at an elk, and we have to walk mm. 50 feet, I'll set it up. Otherwise, you know, I'm carrying shooting sticks or trekking poles or something. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna get him, I'm gonna get him a youth rifle, um, have it on the tripod, and then put that scope on it, and hopefully it, it just seems odd to me that he can shoot a deer this year. I asked right. him the other day, I go, Bud, do you wanna come hunting with me this year? Do you want to shoot a deer for yourself? And he immediately like both fists up in the air. He's like, "Yes, yes!" I'm like, "This is awesome. I've raised this raised this kid the right way." Um, yeah, but yeah. I just got my first spotting scope too. Super pumped about that. Um, it's gosh, I should know the name. It's the Viper, uh, the Vortex Razor HD, mm-hmm. sixty power, I think. And I got the angled. I didn't do the yep. straight just because uh, I've had. I've, I've seen both of them. I've used them both and I just find myself in more situations where like leaning over and looking into it seems more comfortable for a long period of time. Um, but yeah, the glassing aspect of big game hunting out West is possibly my favorite part of the whole deal. I -hmm. could sit in, I have this tiny little camp chair and it folds up to a small, like smaller than a football and, I mean, it's just real small. It only has two feet, and you just kind of, like, use your weight to to balance it. You put your feet out in front of you. But I could sit in glass for days, and it just, I don't know, there's nothing like it. And picking mm-hmm. apart animals or picking apart patches of timber, like you guys were saying, seeing different body parts, knowing what to look for. Like, I've found, I've found a whole bunch of elk before. We found a, actually a really good spot with a lot of sheds, too. Um, but the only thing I saw at first was a hoof underneath a cedar Mm -hmm. and I just saw a leg. I mean, just the bottom six inches of an elk and it just passed underneath the cedar. And I'm like, guys, there's elk in here. And they're like, where, where, where I'm trying to walk them to it. And I'm like, there's elk in here. All I saw was a hoof, but I promise you there's elk in there. And sure enough, there were a bunch of elk. Um, but there's, there's something cool about it. Maybe it was my fascination with where's Waldo as a kid that makes me love it, but, That's, yeah, that's one of my new favorite things.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say with optics too, kind of, I would say it depends on what hunt you're doing. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to be backpacking in and you want, and you need a spotting scope, I'd try and get something lighter. Yeah. I got a a Viper 20 to 60 by 80. And I mean, if I do do a backpack hunt and I need it, I will sacrifice that weight, but
3: Vortex also, they they make uh, they're one of their Razor ones, is the 11 to 33, and man, that thing is super light. Uh, you're not going to get the magnification you would out of, you know, a 20 to 60, but if you want something that's light and you still want to be able to see a bit further, that's something they, nice to
2: have. They do make the 20 by 45 ultra light. It's pretty light as well.
1: Yeah, that's sweet. I didn't realize uh, until I got mine that it broke down further than, you know, Mm -hmm. just being the full thing. And I was like, man, I can, I can pack this down into one of my side pockets on my backpack. I don't know how much I'm going to be bringing it out. I think that's going to be one of, one of the deals that stays with the side by side, you know, where, where we're getting out to glassing points and we're getting out and looking. Um, and the other thing I've found is when, when you go out West for the first time, or really any time, coordinate with everybody, because, you don't need five dudes with spotting scopes. You need one spotting scope between everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've watched that new guys. They all have their own gear and they all want to bring it all. And so everybody's got a jet boil and everybody's got like a butcher kit. And I mean like everything you could imagine. And I'm like, guys, everybody lighten their load. We'll each take one heavy thing to carry and then we'll have it all covered.
2: Yeah. The, like the only time that we all really have our spotting scopes, like, is when I we go I go back home and hunt with my dad. Um one of the spots we deer hunt, there's a really good ridge that we've killed a lot of deer on that we can glass from our camp. So I mean I rolled up there this year and they had four spotting scopes set up and they're just sitting at camp just glassing and like shooting prairie dogs in the I'm like, and it's one of my favorite hunts of the years just because it's like a pretty laid back type hunt, but you do have a chance to kill big deer. But it's like, that's the only time really we have that many spotting scopes. If me and Tanner are hiking in somewhere, usually one of us, is, one of us is carrying a spotting scope. That's it.
1: Yeah. Are you guys, are you guys typically doing spike camping while you're out there? Or do you set up a base camp and come back each day?
0: So it depends on the hunt. So like here recently, it's mostly just been, uh, base camps and then heading out. And then this year we're going to try to venture that base and spike camp.
2: we're gonna try some we have a i have a couple backpack elk hunts planned and it kind of depends on tags still Mm -hmm. um and my brother's also having a kid so it depends on how what my dad does if we have general elk tags um and then i think we have a couple backpack deer hunts planned
3: nice yeah now it's just getting uh backpacking gear just getting stuff that's light enough because everything we have is not everything, but a lot of stuff, uh, is a little too heavy to be backpacking with. So
2: yeah, right now we're trying to refine our camp systems.
3: I mean, I, I just placed an order for a new, uh, Christensen rifle, their new, uh, FFT Ridge line. Oh, heck yeah. And, uh, have a plan to deck that out and all said and done, it should be 7.3 pounds with scope, bipod, everything. And, uh, now I just got to get
2: now you got to get the gun.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to get the gun
2: and
3: just uh have to get the rest of uh lightweight gear so
1: Yeah, the lightweight the lightweight aspect of it, I've found people can get really passionate about just that. You know, yeah. finding exactly what they need, not taking anything extra because I've because I grew up hunting the Midwest, it was like, dude, you can carry literally everything on your pack. So like (laughs) I'd be going in for just one day of hunting and I'm only like, I mean, I'm on the back corner of a 40 acre lot from the car and I'm still packing in just loads and loads of stuff. And I I don't know why I just always feel like, oh man, I need it. Even today for the turkey hunt, I brought so much stuff with me in the truck and most of it stayed, stayed at the truck. (laughs) I didn't even bring it out with me. Um, but having it accessible is great. But yeah, once you actually go back in and you're, you're camping four miles back, you really have to think about what you want and and what you're going to keep back there.
2: We've done actually all three of us have done really good about refining our day packs to just the hunting gear we need and the snacks we need instead of just carrying in a bunch of extra Mm -hmm. stuff like we used to, like for whatever reason i used to carry around a tripod i i don't know why i didn't, wasn't carrying a spot and scope couldn't glass like but i just had this tripod and now, now i'm the
3: one carrying the yeah tripod. now he's the one carrying
2: the tripod <laughs> um but this last year i think basically all i had in my pack was like what i my kill kit water mm-hmm. um and snacks and I think that was basically all I had. I think
1: I had my pack weighing eight like fifteen pounds. nice, yeah, I that's like awesome to have to have like a minimal pack that you can bring back on day trips like that it people don't understand the value of a day pack like what that can offer instead of lugging even an empty big pack like it's just big and bulky and it makes noise when it catches on stuff. And hunting, if you—I don't know if you guys have that there. I know you said you've got a lot of mature um, timber, but the scrub oak where we elk hunt is mm-hmm. insane, and it's loud no matter what. And so the the less that you can be carrying, the better as far as getting in there quietly.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's like the big thing, like you talk about weight. Like of all three of us, my gun weighs the most. Like I'm I'm flat out I've always it's been it's got a big old 28-inch bull barrel on it and everything. And like it's like, how can you carry this thing? I'm like, well, it's just, it's what I carry, you know what I mean? Like we we're comparing my rifle to Chase's new rifle, I'm like, Well, I really should improve this thing.
2: <laughs> what did what did you we weigh your gun at that? Was it like 13 and a half pounds? It's 13
0: and a half pounds loaded. And everybody's like, but for me being 6'4", 260 pounds, it's like it kind of makes me feel like it's not that big, but like. They'll watch me throw it from this shoulder to this shoulder to this shoulder. Yeah. Then when I set it down, I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> I, th-
3: I think another thing is just, I mean, if you can, smaller hunts and taking your gear out and um, the couple hunts we've been on. I, I mean, the first hunt, I threw everything I thought I could possibly need. We get back to the truck and I'm taking stuff out of my pack. I'm like, I didn't use that. I didn't touch that. I don't need that. And I mean, being able to sit there and go, okay, what? did I use what didn't I use? Like, there's still stuff you should keep in your pack, even if you don't touch it. Mm -hmm. Um, but for, for the most part, I mean, after a couple times going out, I mean, you can even go on a hike with your pack and put everything you think you're going to need. And you sit there and go, okay, well, do I think I'm actually going to use that? Like, no. And, uh, trying to have stuff that is multi-purpose is, one of the best things you can do instead of having single use stuff.
2: I also think the only thing that we all each carry in our packs is a first aid kit. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Just
2: cause you like, he, and, but we all have different stuff in them. Mm-hmm. So like if
0: like I have quick clock and a tourniquet, cause that's how my jump bag is at work. So yeah.
3: I've, I've kind of got a similar setup. I, I did a wilderness first aid course uh, a couple years ago. Um, and then hopefully soon be able to do a wilderness first responder course. So, I mean, just having a general first aid kit when it comes to hunting, I'd heavily recommend having at least a tourniquet.
2: Yeah. I mean, just watching YouTube videos of like, I don't, have you watched uh, elk 101 at all? Yeah. So did did um, a couple of years ago, I think it was their first destination elk. The guy, um, yeah, that David Brinker, I think, uh, Got, broadhead went through his leg
1: oh yeah that was when I saw that I, I it was like that queasy moment I don't get sick off of stuff like that but thinking about being in the back country and having something like that happen to where like that could turn life and death in a hurry yeah it's just sketchy and
2: that's when I think I I don't personally have like a what I'd call a real tourniquet Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I always actually have a belt in my pack, just a lightweight belt that has holes all the way down. So if I do need to use it for, as a tourniquet, I can.
1: Yeah. I've got, I I don't have an actual tourniquet similar to you, but what I do have is it's, it's kind of like a gear tie down. It's like a real thin webbing. It's less than a half inch wide. Um, and it's for like cinching down. A sleeping bag to just make it more compact, but it works perfect as, as that as well. And like you said, um, Colton, having things that are multi-use like that, I've found to be awesome. I mean, that helps me if I'm, if I'm hauling out a full pack of, or a full, um, if I've got elk on my back, I, I have something to tie more stuff down, you know, because if I'm pulling gear out of my backpack to stuff it with elk meat, like that stuff has to go somewhere. I'm not just carrying it in my hands. And so to be able to tie stuff down, but then also use it in an emergency situation like that, it's always helpful.
0: That's like, I've used electrical tape as like a big multi-use thing. I know that, that sounds really stupid, like tying it to me or like tying like horns together or whatever you have to do. Electrical tapes kind of become our best friend in the back country. Like, I don't know why, but like it's something my dad taught me is electrical tape. And like you write band-aids. Yeah. And band-aids and like, Using like, he used to soak cotton balls in like Vaseline and shove them in a uh, little pill container. Yeah. And, use as fire starter. and like, I never thought of that until my dad, like showed me all these little, like minimal things that he, he that he carries. And I kind of built it off of him. And it's just amazing. Those things we take from like people, our mentors that we've learned from, and kind of adapted it our own way. So
1: yeah. Finding things like that. I mean, when someone's done it, as long as like maybe your dad has they've figured out what works and what doesn't and what works for them. You know, it might not work for everybody, but for them it does. And so, like you said, to take that and make minor adjustments to it as you need. Um, There are so many cool tools and tricks and supplies that you can take in the backcountry that even if you don't use, it's just cool to be like, Hey, you want to see something cool? Look at this. (laughs) Cotton ball soaked in Vaseline. Perfect fire starter. Um, Yeah. Or, or even hot
0: cocoa powder, he told me. What is it? He'll carry like a little thing of hot cocoa powder, like Swiss Miss. Oh, Use yeah. He's as a fire starter.
2: I, I carry a baggie of uh, laundry lint.
1: Yep. I did, I've done the laundry lint. Hot cocoa po- powder as a fire starter. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, but one
0: time, let me show you this. And he lit it on fire and it was a fire starter.
1: What the heck? I'm going to have to look into that. I've seen the uh, potato chips or Doritos. Like you can yeah. literally light. The corner of a dorito and it'll burn for a long time and i mean i'm not going to carry a bag of doritos out there just for a fire starter but just kind of a cool thing
3: i mean one cool thing at uh talking about fire uh one cool thing that i've seen at work uh they sell these things called pull start fire you just pull a string and then it just starts to burn uh something internally ignites it and it'll burn for i think like five minutes and it'll light whatever else they're like two dollars but i mean granted a a lighter cost you a dollar matches cost you a dollar but just the aspect of oh you pull a string and it starts oh yeah i don't know i think (laughs) uh kind of being a little kid and being mesmerized by anything (laughs) fired like oh man that's magic yeah
1: there nothing nothing uh can replace a fire in the back country like if you're no. sitting there at night and you're cold, you know, you've got to have a headlamp on or something to see even you don't have to have a bonfire, you know, that you see at the parties out in a cornfield or something. If you have just a tiny little, like eight inch by eight inch fire out there, it will change everything. Um, just a
0: little
1: yeah. It's, it's amazing. Well, Hey, I, I hate to cut this short because I've absolutely loved talking to you guys and getting some tips, hearing your stories um before we hop off though i want to give you a chance to share where people can follow along with brothers in the wild where they can follow you guys on social media um so yeah could you guys share that with the listeners
2: yeah let me pull it up so
0: so
1: first off my
0: instagram is tanner underscore barndell, B-A-R-N-D-E-L-L. and i should have a link to brothers in the wild but if not i believe chase was going to give the link
2: um So my personal Instagram page is galley zero zero eight. There's a link in there to uh, our YouTube channel, Um, and then our Instagram handle is Bitw three oh seven. And Colton.
3: Yeah. So for uh, for me, uh, you can find me at Colton underscore Jones underscore Media on Instagram. Uh, I think it's the same thing on TikTok as well, Um, but.
2: And then our TikTok handles just brothers in the wild.
1: Awesome. Well guys, I really do appreciate you guys hopping on the show with me today. Um, hopefully you get that moose tag this year. That would be amazing. It's a talk about a pack out. Holy cow. Those things are huge. Um, yeah. but let's keep in touch. I'm going to be up in, or I'm going to be out West a bunch this year, I think. And so, um, I'll be coming through Wyoming in September, I don't know the exact dates yet, but we're going to have to connect, hang out, and then I might just steal your phone and check out your Go Hunt pin drops <laughs> and your Onyx x pin drops.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> and, you like, and you
1: have our phone
0: number, so if you ever run through Laramie, give us a text, and we'll catch some lunch or something.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thank
0: you very much for the opportunity. Yeah,
2: thanks for having us on.
1: Absolutely. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Hopefully you guys took a lot away from that episode. I had a lot of fun hanging out and chatting with these three guys. And the more I talk to people out West, the more I just want to dive deep into each and every type of Western hunt, like high country mule deer, even with a rifle sounds amazing. I definitely want to go after elk. I want to see all sorts of different terrain because to be completely honest, I haven't even hunted elk in thick timber. There's like a couple mixed patches of it here and there in the unit that I typically hunt in. But I mean, I've seen some of these videos where it's just tall pine trees and spruce and all sorts of different evergreens. And you get in there and it's thick and it's dark. And I I don't know, I just think it would be so much fun to have bulls screaming, bugling, Not knowing where they are or maybe like they mentioned moving a hundred yards And then all of a sudden you get one sounding off because you just broke that barrier where he's comfortable with you being and so Lots of good things to come antelope man antelope just seems like a no-brainer If you are from the east if you're from the Midwest if you want to cut your teeth on Western big-game hunting Go buy a $49 non-resident antelope tag for Wyoming and see what that's all about. It's going to be different than most of the other opportunities you could have out there, but I think you'd still have a great time. Man, all that to say, get out there, find something new to chase after, and I, I just feel like the amount of opportunities here in the U.S., and it's not even just out west. I know this is the Western Rookie Podcast, but all over the place, in the Northeast, in the Southeast, like A few things that I didn't even think about, Maine moose hunting. How about elk hunting in Pennsylvania and Kentucky or iguana and python hunting? I just got invited to go do that. There are so many cool opportunities out there and I feel like they're endless. Like you could go and experience something new in every single state. And hopefully that encourages each of you to go out and chase a new adventure.